Swami, in these programs, many times you have used, referred to the term guru. Would you explain what is a guru? Well, a guru is really just a teacher. But there is, um, when a person is seeking spiritually, many people ask me, do I need a guru? I say, you don't need a guru. <laughs> but when you really want to know who you are in relation to God, when you want to know your deeper realities, you need a guru. I remember when I was seeking, I reached the point where I just knew I needed help. At that point, that comes, this is the Satguru, or the true guru, and he is for eternity. God will send him to you when you are ready. When the disciple is ready, the guru appears. And uh, this is a law. You need, you need, you can't lift yourself by your own bootstraps. In the Bible it says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. The guru doesn't, he may even be one who doesn't speak. The real blessing of the guru is what he transmits in consciousness. We have to get rid of this sense of I being different from you. It's all God's dream. And as long as we're thinking of our ego, our separate reality, we can never become one with him. The guru helps us to understand a broader point of view than the ego. Without the guru, it's very difficult. There's a story of a man in India who was being bothered by a demon. And in the Shastras, in the scriptures, he read that uh, if you say a mantra in some powder and throw it on the demon, the demon will vanish. So he tried it and threw it on the demon. The demon laughed at him. He said, before you could even say your mantra, I myself got into that powder, so how could it affect me? <laughs> and the meaning of that is that the very delusion that we're trying to dispel with the ego already affects the ego. It's already got that disease. So how can it get out of itself? You need help to lift you out of it. Divine grace, yes. But divine grace through the guru. Just as everything in the world is done through an instrument, it even takes bees to pollinate the flowers. So the guru in this instance is God's way of lifting you toward him. As people are searching for truth, does a guru start coming to them maybe through books or through... Well, God comes to you through the books. God comes to you through a guru. But in the beginning, when you're starting to look for truth, then God will introduce you through books, through lectures. You'll be drawn bit by bit. But when you really want help, then God will send help through a guru. First of all, he'll send through secondary teachers and lower types of guru, but the real, the Satguru is for eternity. And what about your own guru? Because you've referred to him also. Uh, what was he like? What was your relationship with him like? Well, I've written a book on, it's a biography of Paramahansa Yogananda. And uh, I would like to say that anybody who's listening to this program should read that book because it tells so much more than I can say in a short answer. What was he like? I have a whole chapter 
devoted to his characteristics. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the most prominent ones were that when I looked into his eyes, usually when you look into a person's eyes, you see a personality there. You see reactions and reactions and uh, likes and dislikes. You see a human personality. Looking into his eyes, I didn't see any ego. I saw just, as he himself said, I killed Yogananda long ago. No one dwells in this temple but him. And so that was one aspect. Another thing that I found about him was complete bliss. He never would, he never was emotional, he never reacted, and that didn't mean he didn't love. Mm. I think of love, divine love, as bliss in action. Mm. So he had bliss and he had love, and his love for people was um, universal. One time he was going in a car in Los Angeles, he said, stop the car here, and the driver pulled over to the curb, and. He got out and walked back a few few doors to a variety shop. And in this variety shop, he bought a few items, junk, really, and uh, took it to the desk, the front desk, and the proprietress, when she added it up, was very excited. And when he paid her, she burst into tears. And she said, I badly needed just this sum of money today. It was near closing time. I'd almost given up hope, but God has answered my prayer, and you've come. So, even so, a complete stranger, he had that love for. He didn't use those things, but he bought them for her sake. Swamiji, what is the right attitude for people to have when they're seeking? It seems as though to have a guru requires a lot of humility. Well, obviously, until you know that you're in a mess, you're not going to try to get out of it. And when you know that you need to get out of it, and that you're not getting anywhere yourself, I don't know if that's humility or just frank uh, common sense. You see, you've made a mess of it, and you need help. So, um, I think the right attitude, yes, of course, humility. I'd say obedience, too, because the ego will rebel and uh, it will say, no, I don't want to do this. I know when my guru met me, he gave me his unconditional love. He asked me for my unconditional love and my unconditional obedience. Hmm. Well, I was a young, arrogant American boy. I was only 22. And the thought of giving my obedience to anybody, especially unconditionally, <laughs> I wanted to think this one through a little bit. So I said, even if I think you're wrong, he said, I won't ask anything of you that God does not tell me to ask. Mm. So I said, in that case, I give you my unconditional obedience. Mm. And I found that it was the right choice. I, I made that promise and I kept to it and I, mm. I feel liberated by it. But I remember another disciple, his name was Daniel. And he said, I don't want to follow completely. I mean, I've got my own free will. And I said, but you're not free as long as you're bound by delusion. But he fell from the path because of that. 
Swami, were you ever intimidated looking into Master's eye, Yogananda's eyes? I was in awe. I don't know that intimidate is the right word. Awe certainly is the right word. He was so much greater than I. He, he was unfathomable. I know one sister disciple said, every time I think I've understood him, I realize he's much more. I thought, how could you even dream of thinking you've understood him? Because it's like trying to understand the ocean. Really, you can't think of a person like that in human terms. I had met many people and I had not been willing to follow anybody. But when I met him, I knew this was somebody I could follow. How did you know? It was intuitive. I just knew. I think what drew me first in his autobiography was uh, the absolute beauty of his attitude toward everything. No matter how people insulted him, no matter how many uh, um, setbacks he had, he always came up smiling. Nothing touched him. I was amazed by that attitude. But the miracles in Autobiography of a Yogi, I couldn't deny them, but I couldn't accept them. They were just beyond my reality. I couldn't relate to them, so I put those on a shelf. But the beauty of him as a person, I said, I, said, I want to be like this person. How do you feel about those miracles now? Well, I know that they're true now. I've seen miracles. I saw them happening, but there was never any ego sense. For, for instance, with that woman, after he'd bought those presents for her, and she um, thanked him, and he didn't say anything. And many times I've seen him perform miracles. He never said anything. But somehow you notice in his presence, everything kept happening in the right way. And uh, that was the, the hallmark of it. He just, they came through him. Accepting those miracles gives a very expanded view of reality. It does indeed. I, I it wasn't long before I believed that, but you know, I had come from a completely, I had not been seeking God even. I had through my through my, from 13 on, all my life really, but especially from 13 on, I'd been seeking truth, but I didn't want to seek God, because to me, God, the, the God that I knew in my church was too boring. I thought, I don't want that kind of God. And it was only when I came to the point where I realized that without God, nothing's going to work, that I tried to figure out what is God. And I came to the understanding that God must be, he can't be a man, he's got to be consciousness. And then if he's consciousness, I have to be a part of that consciousness. My consciousness must be expression of his consciousness. And then the more in tune I am with his consciousness, the more I will know of God. And so I decided to give my life to God. But mind you, I didn't know anything about I never didn't know anything about saints. I didn't know anything about Indian philosophy. I didn't know anything. <laughs> when my mother talked of miracles, I said, come off it, mother. <laughs> I was quite a skeptic. <laughs> and uh, yet, when I read that book, I was completely convinced. 
Swami, what is a miracle? What, what? A miracle, there's no such thing really as a miracle. <laughs> Miracles don't exist. They're just things that seem inexplicable according to present understand, understanding. But a miracle is really simply the operation of laws that most people don't know about. But it is not a suspension of law. It's an operation of law on a higher level. Even when uh, St. Joseph of Cupertino, for example, levitated and flew around. Um, that wasn't a miracle in the true sense because he was simply using the, the operation of his principle. When the energy rises very strongly, it combats gravity itself. But to the worldly person, it seems a miracle. To know what the future is seems miraculous, but it's not. We all have these powers within us. We, can, we are the greatest miracle. The very fact that we exist is a miracle. <laughs>